Romans chapter 5. One of the things that I love about living in Cayman, and you guys probably do too, is the incredible diversity of this island. So on Friday morning, um, I was, along with what seemed to be hundreds of other people, crammed into Cafe del Sol at Camana Bay because they have a generator, which means they had power and wireless, and I had a sermon to write. So I was at a table there with all these other people, and the diversity was unbelievable. There were uh, professionals like me who had no power in their home office and were working on their laptops. There were moms with young kids who had gone crazy at home and needed to get them out somewhere public. Uh, There were tourists. There were people speaking Spanish and French and all dialects of English. There were people on every spectrum of um, on every part of the skin color spectrum. It was, it was beautiful. It was wonderful to be a part of, and I love that about our island. But there are a few things that, even as diverse as we are, unite all of us, things that are part of everybody's life, and one of those things is suffering, hard times. We all go through suffering. And as a, as a pastor, I have a window into your lives that a lot of people don't, because when people in the church go through hard times, they ask me to pray for them. They come to the elders and they ask for advice. They ask us to care for them, to help them out. And so, um, so I know the heartaches that are represented in this room. I know about the illness and the chronic pain. I know about the situations with your kids where you just don't know what you're going to do. I know the anxieties about money, the deaths you're still grieving. I, I know what's going on in this room. There are, there are people in this room right now who are, who are going through hard season, who are suffering. And there are others in here who are caring for someone who is. And if, if you're in neither of those camps, if you're not kind of suffering right now or caring for someone who is, it's just a matter of time before you will be. So we all suffer to one degree or another, and we all have kind of our default way of responding, right? I, I wonder where you kind of fall on this. Some of us, when hard times come, our default response is to escape, we, just, we disappear into binge-watching a TV show, or we bury ourselves in work, or we drink just to forget about it. Um, maybe, maybe your default response is self-pity. You just kind of wallow around and feel bad about yourself, and maybe you post something on Facebook about how hard it is, hoping that someone will bite and, and, and affirm you and tell you how sorry they are. I do that. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying we all have our ways of responding. Uh, maybe, maybe suffering makes you cynical. You just... You feel like, well, of course this was going to happen. Why did I ever expect anything better than this? This is just how life is. But we're going to see in in God's word this morning that Christianity makes possible a response that's totally different from those, a response to suffering that's unlike escaping or getting cynical or self-pity. It's joy. Christianity makes possible joy in suffering. So read with me as we go through Romans chapter 5, Verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Will you pray with me? Father, there's, there's too much in this passage this morning to talk about. There's too much here that is good and beautiful and wonderful. What we want this morning is for you to speak what you want to say to us, what, what you want us to hear for our joy, for our transformation to become more like Jesus. God, we want you to speak this morning. And so please help me to be faithful to you as you lead. And please help us all to be listening to what you are saying through your word. Thank you for the Bible. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this passage, Paul is unpacking some of the staggering benefits that come to those who trust in Jesus, those who have faith in Jesus. He says that, Having been justified by faith, he says, since we've been counted righteous, not, not that we are righteous, but we've been counted righteous through trusting in Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're not enemies with God anymore. We have peace with God. We belong to him. And he says that, that through faith in Jesus, through Jesus, we've obtained access by faith into God's grace, into his favor, into his loving kindness. These are benefits of of knowing Jesus. And in verse 3, one of the benefits of of trusting in Jesus is, he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. We don't just rejoice despite our sufferings. We rejoice in them, in our sufferings. So imagine if that was true in your life. Imagine if the hardships that came to you, large and small, they weren't just kind of seasons to grit your teeth, and get through. They weren't just one more confirmation that the universe is against you. What if those were occasions of joy? So your employer announces layoffs. Joy. The test comes back positive. Joy. When your sister forbids you from ever talking about Jesus with her again, joy. How can that happen? Well, the answer of God's word in Romans chapter 5 is Christians can rejoice in our sufferings because we have a sure and growing hope. The answer to how how can we rejoice in our sufferings? The answer is hope, the hope that we have, that we're going to unpack from this passage. Christians can rejoice in our sufferings because we have a sure and growing hope. So this passage shows us three steps we can take in order to rejoice in our sufferings. There's something we need to treasure something we need to understand, and something we need to remember. So first, something we need to treasure. Treasure your future hope more than your present experience. So Paul says that, that he's, as he's talking in this passage, he says this word hope again and again. It's really the, kind of the key word of the passage. He says in verse 2, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So he, he has this hope. There's something There's something that's coming that Paul can see coming. He doesn't have it yet, but he's hoping in it. And and knowing that it's coming gives him joy today. Something in the future gives him joy right now. 
And that thing, he says, he says he has hope in is the glory of God. So here's what, here's what he's talking about. Christians believe that, that at the beginning, that one time, the world was perfect. The world was exactly as it should be. It was very good, the Bible says. But then when, when humanity, when all of us turned away from God, when we, went on, when we went our own way, it affected everything. All of creation was kind of thrown into chaos, thrown into suffering. So death entered the world. Disease entered the world. Natural disasters began. People were alienated from each other. Husbands from their wives. Parents from their children. Work, which God created as a good thing, work was a joy. Work became a chore. It became painful. And, and the worst thing that happened was we, all of us, all of humanity, was cut off from God because we'd, we'd left him. And the reason why it's the worst to be cut off from God is that knowing God is what we were made for. We were made to know him and love him and see his beauty, see how glorious he is and respond to him. And the Bible calls that beauty of God, that God's magnificence, his splendor, what makes God different from everybody else, the Bible calls that his glory. And Paul rejoices in hope of the glory of God because the Bible also says that the world is going to be perfect again. That one day, at the end of history, Jesus, God's son, is going to return to the earth and he's going to remake it to make it just the way it was supposed to be. No more death, no more sin, no more suffering. That on that day, the Bible says that we're going to see the glory of God. We're going to see God as we were always meant to and, and those who have trusted in him will actually share his glory. We're going to be transformed to be like him. So when Paul says that he rejoices in hope of the glory of God, that's what he's thinking about. He's looking forward to this day when Jesus comes and he sees God and he's transformed to be like God and then he lives in a perfect world forever. And, and he says that hoping in that day gives him joy today. Now sometimes when we talk about hope, we, when we say we hope for something, we're talking about something that we actually don't know whether it's going to happen or not, but we'd like it to. So, um, so those of you, some of you would say, I really hope it doesn't rain today. Maybe because you got plans on the beach, maybe because you, you drove a scooter in rainy season and you're really hoping it doesn't rain on your way home. Others of you hope it does rain today because that cools it off, right? Um, we're in the part of the U.S. where I'm from, we have a perennially underperforming baseball team called the Chicago Cubs. And the Chicago Cubs haven't won a World Series, that's the national championship, in 106 years. So that's the longest championship drought of any professional team in America. And yet every spring, we still hope that this is the year, okay? So we, we have almost no reason to think that it will be, but we hope it will be. But that's not how the Bible talks about hope. In the Bible, hope is a confident expectation of a future good. Hope knows that it's coming. So here's the difference. There's one kind of hope that a guy feels when he's thinking about asking a girl on a date, and he knows that she's free to say no, maybe even she thinks she probably will, but he hopes, he hopes against hope that she'll say yes. Okay, that's one kind of hope. There's another kind of hope that a guy feels as he approaches his wedding day, and, and he, has no, he has no doubts about it. He's totally confident. He knows when he stands at the front of the church and he looks down the aisle, and the door's open, she's going to be there. It's not that he's worried it's not going to happen, but it's not here yet. So he hopes. He looks ahead to it 
with confidence. And that's the kind of hope Paul has, the kind of hope we can have through trusting in Jesus. We can know that that day is coming and we can rejoice in it. And here's why that makes a difference when suffering comes to your life. If you think that this life is the big show, this life is where you need to find all your happiness, all your excitement, all your adventure, all your satisfaction, you're going to be so let down. If, if you find all your hope in this life, your joy is not safe, right? Because if, if your big hope is making partner and then you lose your job, you lose your joy. If your hope is in taking the big European holiday and you get sick and you can't go, you lose your joy. If your hope is in this kind of idyllic retirement where your children and your grandchildren are gathered at your feet and you're sharing your wisdom, but you have a falling out, you lose your joy, right? But what if your hope is in something not in this world that's not subject to loss? What if you hope in something that's so sure that you can already rejoice in it now, a world that's perfect, a world in which you will never suffer, never lose your joy? Your joy is safe. That's what we need to treasure, our future hope, not our present experience. So the first thing we need to do to rejoice in our sufferings is treasure our future hope. The second thing is we need to understand something. We need to understand that God's purpose in suffering is to strengthen your hope. Look at verses 3 to 4. Paul says, not only that, not only do we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So Paul says, We can rejoice in our sufferings because we know something. There's something that we know that makes a difference. And the thing that he knows is that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. He knows suffering gives me more hope. And hope is the thing that gives me joy. I'm, I'm rejoicing in my hope. And when I suffer, I get more of the hope that gives me joy. And we'll see how that works as we go through. So let's, let's kind of look at this sequence. Suffering produces endurance, endurance, character, character, hope. Suffering produces endurance. Now, all the runners in here are going to understand this immediately, right? Because the way that you grow as a runner is you run until it hurts, and then you keep running, right? You run until you kind of reach your limit, and then you keep running, and over time, your strength grows. So the same is true in your walk with God. These trials come into your life that test whether you're going to keep walking with God, keep living his way, or whether you're just going to kind of wash out and go with everybody else. So uh, you're going through your bills, and you're comparing what you owe to what you have in the bank account, and the numbers are not adding up. And you have a choice in that moment. You can, you can trust God, pray for his provision, or you can panic and get anxious and, and just kind of go out of your mind. When, when you're passed over for promotion at work, you can, you can be content and put your head down and keep working diligently, or you can, you can coast and complain and just do what everybody else would do in that situation. When you're, when you're on track, you're doing what God has called you to do, and the people around you are laughing at you for it, you have a choice to make, right? You can, you can keep going the way God's called you, or you can, you can just kind of fit in with the crowd. We have these choices that we need to make when hard things come into our lives. And if we choose to keep going God's way, we're strengthened. He strengthens us for the next test, even if it's more significant. God has prepared us. He's preparing us for the next hard thing 
by training us by the one we're going through right now. But there's, there's a possibility of misunderstanding here. I want to make sure that nobody hears what I'm not saying. You can think, well, the way that God strengthens me is he kind of teaches me that I have everything that I need. He teaches me that I'm strong. You know, we, we can kind of say, um, and I, I know what people mean by this, but I think it can be dangerous. We can say, God will never give you more than you can handle, right? And that is not true. Because awful things happen to Christians all the time. Christians get thrown into jail for trusting in Jesus. Christians' marriages fall apart. Christians' children die. It happens all the time. God will absolutely give you more than you can handle. He will never give you more than he can handle. And that's the kind of strength that we get through suffering, not the kind of strength that comes from standing on our own two feet, I can do anything, I am powerful. It's the strength that comes from when you see suffering coming, casting yourself into your Father's hands and saying, you can take care of this. You can take care of me. God, I'm trusting you. And as we find time and time again that he catches us, that he's really there, that he really carries us through these things, that's how we grow in endurance. So suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Now this word character, it means proven character. It's the the character that passes the test. So as we endure suffering, we go through hard times, and our faith comes out intact, we see that our faith is real. So there are things that come into your life, there are things that are going to come into your life that if, if your faith is just kind of a game, if Christianity is just something you're doing to like make your girlfriend happy or to like rack up PR points, there are things that are going to happen that are going to be so hard, you're just going to give up. You're just going to quit. But if your faith is real, as these things come into your life, you're going to have this experience. You're going to see this thing coming. And you're going to feel like, this is too much for me. I I don't know how I'm going to survive this. I don't know how I'm going to get through. And then you do. You find yourself in your suffering, trusting God's promises. You find yourself calling upon the community of the church to help you. You find yourself, against all logic, confident about God's care for you in the future. You get through it, and you realize, my faith is real. It's like, it's like rock climbing and you lose your handhold and you fall and you, you are so relieved to find that the rope catches you, right? You, you never had to use it before, but you're so glad that it's there. You find the rope is real. You find your faith is real. And you realize as you go through these hard times, your faith can actually take a lot more than you thought it could because God is holding you, because God is sustaining you. And so the next time you suffer, you know I'm going to make it through. God has always carried me through. So endurance produces character, and character produces hope. As you go through these hard times, you see that your faith is real. You see that God is taking care of you. You realize God is always going to take care of me. He's going to, he's going to provide for everything I need. And so as you see that God can take care of these little things like illness, like immigration status, these little things like problems in the workplace, you realize he can, take, he can take care of the big things too. He is going to keep his promise to send Jesus at just the right time. My hope is sure. And so, so that's, that's how it works. These, um, the suffering produces endurance. It, it strengthens you for the next time. And endurance produces character. It shows that your faith is real. You gain confidence 
in God, and, and character produces hope. You realize, I can trust him to send Jesus for me. I don't need to be afraid. I can rejoice in hope of the glory of God. When I first moved to Kenosha, Wisconsin, which is where I lived before I moved down here, I was in a small group in my church that was led by a couple that had eight kids. And they actually had a ninth kid while I was there. Um, So they had like a newborn and they had like two college graduates. That was the spectrum. And this family, um, the dad was a student. So he wasn't even working full-time. He was a student getting his Ph.D., Um, The mom was obviously full-time, because how can you not be full-time when you have eight or nine children running around? She was more than full-time, right? So so they had had so many times where they struggled to make ends meet. And the dad had done all kinds of things to provide. Like he'd he'd taught, he'd been a plumber, he'd washed windows at car dealerships in the winter in Chicago. Like he'd he'd done it all. And God had always taken care of them. So money would come in the mail unlooked for. Groceries would appear on the front step. God had taken care of them. They had trusted God in hard times. He'd taken care of them every time, and they'd been trained by it. So that by the time I knew them, like nothing phased these people. They find out they're pregnant, they're going to have a ninth child. Great! Like, how are we going to put nine children through college? I don't know. Like, God, God is going to take care of it. They were trusting God for huge things, because he'd trained them in the small things. And that's how suffering can fuel your hope. So sometimes we wonder, it's easy to wonder, as a Christian, if God loves me, which I understand from the Bible that he does, if God loves me, then why do hard things happen to me? Why, why do I still suffer? Why, why doesn't God kind of shield me from everything? Um, and, and this passage shows us why. Right? It shows us that suffering is actually part of God's design. It's, it's something that he's doing on purpose in your life to strengthen your hope, to give you more joy. So suffering, not that it's a good thing, but suffering is something God uses for good in your life. That's, it's, it's a gift that he lets you suffer because your suffering produces hope and your hope produces joy. So we've seen that in order to rejoice in our sufferings, we need to treasure something our future hope over our present experience. We need to understand something, God's purpose in our suffering, and we need to remember something. So finally, remember that God's love will not let your hope disappoint you. If you've you've suffered much, if you've been through really hard times, then you know that times of suffering can also be times of doubt. Not just doubt, that the rope won't hold, not just doubt in your faith, but doubt that the rope is connected to anything. Doubt that this is so hard. What if God's not out there? What if there's nothing better to look forward to? What if I've just been kind of fooling myself with this Christianity game? So what we really want to know in the midst of suffering is that our hope in this better world Jesus will bring is not going to let us down. That this isn't just a game, that something real is out there, that we won't be disappointed, that we, we, we want to know there won't come a day when we'll realize um, it was for nothing, that I, I went God's way instead of going with everybody else, which would have been way easier. We want to know that our hope won't disappoint us, and God's word says that we can know that. So look at verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, 
At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the linchpin, the anchor, the thing that you can hold on to that proves that your hope won't let you down is God's love. It's the love of God. Paul says that, that Christians have experienced God's love in their hearts. He said that God's love has been, you know, not, he, said, he doesn't say it's been dripped into our hearts. It's been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. But it's not just that we've experienced God's love. He says that God has proven his love in history. He says that because we have God's love, our hope will not disappoint us. So, so here's how it works. When we know that God loves us, we know that he won't let us down. When we know that he won't let us down, our hope is sure. And when we know our hope is sure, we can have joy in our sufferings. But we need to know that that all hangs on whether we know God loves us. And so Paul takes us to the best place to see that God loves us, which is the cross. So here's his argument. (coughs) Look at verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Paul's saying, like, almost nobody ever dies for somebody else, right? Your life is the most precious thing you have. Hardly anyone would just give that up for another person. Like, probably, he says, like, maybe, maybe for a good person. Maybe if it was, like, Mother Teresa, and you knew that, like, she would do incredible work, and you were just kind of a schlub, and so you said, well, I'll give my life so Mother Teresa can live. Maybe, maybe for a good person. That's like the one instance in which you'd give your life for someone else. But he says, God's love is so great that Jesus gave his life for sinners, not for someone great and good, someone's going to do something amazing for the human race. No, God's perfect son gave his life for screw-ups, right? For sinners, for the ungodly, he says. That's how God shows his love. So, so God kind of... He, had these things in the balances, right? He looked at humanity, which, you know, we had all sinned. We've all fallen short. We've all turned away. We all deserve to die because of our sin. And he looks at his son, who is perfect, who, who perfectly represents his character and his glory, his son who deserves everything good. And God says, I will give the life of my son to save these sinners. Not because they deserve it, not because they've earned it, but because I love them because they're precious to me. I'm willing to give the life of my perfect son in order to save sinners. And Paul argues that that being recipients of that kind of love should give us unshakable hope. Look at verse 9. He says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, Shall we be saved by his life? So here's what he's saying. Here's, here's what he's saying and how it connects to hope. He's saying, if God loved you so much that he gave his son when you were a sinner and an enemy, how much more will he do for you now that you're his children, that you've been counted righteous? If he gave his son when you were a sinner and now he's counted you righteous, how much more is he going to do? If, if he gave his son when you were an enemy and now you're his child, how much more is he going to do? Is, is he going to, having sent his son to die for you, 
let these little things, these little sufferings in your life totally shipwreck your faith? Is he just going to not keep his promise to send Jesus and we'll just kind of wait forever? No. If he sent his son when we were sinners, isn't he going to keep every promise to us now that we've believed? Isn't he going to save us from his wrath at the end of time when Jesus comes? Isn't he going to bring us to himself? If he loved us that much when we were sinners, we can trust all of his love now, and that secures our hope. So listen, if, if you're suffering right now, right now you're in that season, and you're wondering whether God loves you, he wants to show you something this morning. And the thing he wants to show you is Jesus on the cross. He wants to show you that he loved you enough to send his son, not because you earned it, not because you're good, because he loves you. But sometimes that's where the doubt comes in, right? Because it's one thing to believe that God loves sinners, and it's another thing to believe that God loves me. It's one thing to believe that God is a father. It's a different thing to know that God is my father, right? Have you ever had this experience? You're kind of, you're reading your Bible, and you're seeing all these promises God makes to his children, and you think, but what if I'm not one of them? What if, what if that's not me? What if this is for somebody else? I mean, I think, I think I'm a Christian. I've trusted Jesus, but, but how can I know? How can I know? So that's why Paul says in verse 5, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So it's not just that God has proven his love by sending his son to die, but that he's given Christians an experience of it in our hearts. Through the Holy Spirit, he says. So God, you remember Theology 101, God exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. The Father plans salvation. He has this idea, I'm going to send my Son into the world. I'm going to save sinners. And the Son accomplishes salvation. He comes into the world. He dies and he rises. And then God the Spirit, he's the one who brings that salvation home to those who believe. So when we trust in Jesus, the Spirit comes into our hearts and he gives us new hearts and he cleanses us from sin and he, he gives us this experience of God's love. That's, that God wants us to know not just abstractly that he loves us, but know in our hearts that he loves us. So when you think about the cross and you think, I deserved to be up there, right? I, I deserve to hang on that cross. I've sinned. I've fallen short. I don't live the way God wants me to. But this perfect person came from heaven, and out of love for me, he hung on the cross in my place. And he took all of God's wrath, all of God's anger, and he died in my place. So now I'm free. I'm free from my condemnation. I'm free from the power of sin. I live forever with this God who loves me. When you think on that and your heart is moved, that's the Holy Spirit pouring into your hearts the love of God so you know that it's for you that you are a child of God, that God, not just that he loves abstractly, but he loves you as an individual, sent his son to die for you. And when we have that experience of love, then we know that God's going to keep all of his promises, that our hope is not going to let us down, that he is going to send his son, and we're going to live forever with him, and we can rejoice. So, how are you suffering right now? What's going on? What is it in your life right now that's, that's testing your commitment to God, that's making it hard to live with joy? Is it something 
at work? Is it something at home? Is it something in your body? Disease? Is it something in your bank account? What is it? If you're a Christian, whatever it is, it's not going to get you. It's not going to beat you. Not only is it not going to beat you, but God's going to use it to make you stronger. God is going to use that for your joy. So, so we can rejoice in our sufferings, not because they're good, but because God's going to use them for good, because we have this sure hope that is growing every time we suffer. We just need to follow Paul's counsel in this passage. We need to treasure our future hope more than our present experience. Do not seek all of your happiness here. There is something better coming you can wait for. And understand that God's purpose in suffering is to strengthen your hope. He's going to use it to make you more strong and more joyful. And remember that God's love will not let your hope disappoint you. You can trust a God who sent his son to die for you. He's a good father. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that we are not at the mercy of random events, that suffering is not just sort of um, willy-nilly. We just suffer because accidents happen. We just suffer because, because it's a fallen world, God. Thank you that we suffer because you're a good God who knows how to give good gifts, and you are doing something through our suffering that gives us great joy. You are strengthening our hope in your son's coming again. You're strengthening our hope in the glory of God. And um, so, Father, I just, I know, I know that these people are going to suffer. I know that some of them are suffering right now, and so, God, I pray that you would strengthen them by your word and that that remembering your love, remembering your son dying on the cross would give them hope and would cause them to endure and that you would use this for their good and for their joy and that through them you would make known your love to this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.